if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on a Tuesday, the 29th morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord 2020. One day closer to the end of one of the worst overall years I think most of us can remember in our lifetimes. Uh, bad news that goes along with that is the turn of the calendar to January 1st isn't necessarily going to make anything any better, especially if we have continuing games being played by Congress when the new Congress reconvenes, or convenes rather, as the old one ends. Um, this is crazy. I mean, it really, really is. Here's where we are. Let me First of all, today's guest coming up at 1010, Peter Kersenow is going to join us, as he does each and every Tuesday. So it's a great day because it's Kersenow Day. Coming up in a half an hour at 935, Lisa Woods is going to join us. Lisa is uh, the or the uh, founder of the Medina County uh, uh, Friends and Neighbors, McFan. She is also an outgoing member of the Ohio Board of Education. She has written uh, a very powerful and very important exit statement from the Board of Education, talking about how crucial it is for certain matters to be addressed um, at the board level as it pertains to our schools and our children. So it's really, really important that we hear this. So she's going to join us to talk about that at 935. So Kersenow and Woods are the guests today. But here's where we are as we start the day on Capitol Hill. Um, it's a mess. Bottom line is it's a mess. Alliances have been forged and changed, and some of the most unlikely bedfellows are sleeping together. Um, it, 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 it's really, really kind of complicated. Let's see if we can make some sense of this. President Trump hated the COVID-19 relief stimulus bill. $900 billion of spending, but only $600 going to each uh, working American. Now, he said, that's a joke. That's embarrassing. And he was going to veto that. That's a terrible thing. Especially when you consider that more money is being spent on foreign projects and domestic pork projects, most of them by liberal Democrats. He said, no, 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 no. We have to cut out that spending and increase the stimulus payments to the people from $600 to $2,000. Okay. 
That led to the Democrats saying, we're in with half of that. We also agreed that everybody should get $2,000 from the government. $2,000 from the government is great. It's a great idea. Because that's how they see it. It's not returning the people's tax dollars to them. It's government doling out the dollars as they see fit, which is a, a very important step towards social socialism and governmental control. Governmental control of the means of distribution. Governmental control of property. Governmental control of resources, of riches, and the distribution equally and equitably to everyone. This is, this is a big step toward that. So they said, yeah, let's increase the government handout to all of the people. Not even seeing it as the people's own money to begin with. And also not recognizing that the only reason this is an option or a, or, or a situation we face right now is because of governmental decisions on crushing businesses and putting millions and millions of Americans who were, who were gainfully employed on the unemployment line. Their own response and their own decisions in response to the coronavirus, the pandemic. So President Trump says, let's increase the payments to $2,000. Nancy Pelosi in the House yesterday voted to do exactly that, to increase the payments from $600 to $2,000. The problem is they didn't do the other half of what President Trump wanted, which was cut the spending and the foreign aid. It's just no. We'll add the expense to the national debt and to the federal deficit We'll add the expense of the increased payments from six hundred to two thousand dollars to the spending rather than replace the spending. So that was what happened yesterday on the house uh, in the house. Now the other thing that happened yesterday in the house, they also passed the National Defense Authorization Act. That is the defense spending bill. And they did so, they passed an override. Let me rephrase. They overrode President Trump's veto of that spending bill. You may recall President Trump vetoed that bill because of Section 230, which is a Federal Communications Act issue in which corporations are protected no matter what censorship they practice, no matter what free speech violations that they practice, talking about largely the social media companies. President Trump and others want them to be held accountable as essentially publishers. And he vetoed the the, the defense spending bill on that basis. So yesterday, the House also voted to override the veto. Now, keep those two House actions in mind as we move to the Senate. Mitch McConnell and a number of conservative Senate fiscal hawks don't like the idea of going from 600 to $2,000 in payments to the people without the aforementioned spending cuts. So they, want, they don't want to pass this thing that the House passed yesterday. But now we go to the Senate Democrats led by Socialist Bernie, who says we will filibuster the override of the defense spending bill unless we get the increase in payments on the stimulus spending bill. Did I mention that this was a little bit complicated? 
Bernie Sanders has said that until Mitch McConnell drums up the votes to pass the spending bill, the coronavirus relief spending bill, rather, the stimulus, to $2,000 per working American, he's not going to, and they are not going to even allow a vote to take place on overriding the veto and getting the defense budget, uh, the defense spending bill passed. So this is a huge, huge issue now. Marco Rubio is, well, anything but a fiscal hawk. He has come out this morning and said he supports President Trump's call for $2,000 COVID checks after the House passed the bill yesterday. But again, he, like most true rhinos, is not talking about the other half of what President Trump did. Look, Senate Republicans and House Republicans are all doing the president no favors whatsoever when they continue to say, we agree with President Trump, give everybody $2,000. Because President Trump didn't just say give everybody $2,000. He said cut the spending in order to make those dollars available. But they don't talk about that half. They say nothing about that part of it. And that's what's so frustrating. Again, you know, yesterday I kind of started talking about how, you know, really for the first time recently, anyway, um, I've started to agree with those who say neither party is better than the other. They are both responsible for these types of messes. And I've said, no, Republicans are better because of A, B, C, D, and E. But the more and more we watch this mess, the more I, I kind of start to agree with those who say they're both the same. Marco Rubio yesterday voiced support for the $2,000 stimulus checks and said nothing about the actual spending. I agree with the president that millions of working-class families, he said, are in dire need of additional relief, which is why I support $2,000 in direct payments to Americans struggling due to the pandemic. And that's fine. But he is not talking about the actual uh, uh, foreign aid and pork projects Uh, those spending uh, 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 parts of the spending bill that need to be cut. So so bottom line is here, as I try to summarize all of this, when I talked about alliances being formed and strange bedfellows and, and the like, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Bernie Sanders, and Donald Trump are all on the same side somehow. And now Marco Rubio. They're all on the same side. They want to give everybody $2,000. That's super. But none of them want to deal with the spending cuts that make that possible. They all just want to continue to take as much as they can. And I mean, this is the Democrats' answer to everything. Spend, 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 spend. President Trump was supposed to be that, you know, kind of that firewall, if you will. But he signed it. He signed the original legislation, sent it back with a red line, essentially to the Democrats in the House saying, uh, okay, I signed it, but you have to promise to cut some of the spending out. And you have to increase the expenditures to the people of, of 600 to 2000, from 600 to 2000. So they're all allied with one another, or allied with one another. Meanwhile, Mitch McConnell and other conservative, actually fiscal conservatives, don't want to give this money out without the cuts. And at the, at the same time, our defense is in jeopardy. Do you recall what happened in the 1990s? From 1992 
to 2000, Bill Clinton systematically destroyed the military, stripped it to its bare bones. It put us, honestly, in grave danger. Then, from 2000 to 2008, George W. Bush, through every spending bill that he could and every budget that he laid out, rebuilt the military. Poured just billions of dollars into rebuilding the military that had been gutted by Bill Clinton, which we needed to do for a thousand reasons, not the least of which are the wars that we ended up in, in Afghanistan and in Iraq. But we needed that just for general national security. So we're back to a normal level in 2008. Then in comes Barack Obama, and what did he do? He basically copied Bill Clinton's decimation of the military um, and did it all over again. He just copied it. Spent eight years tearing it apart. And then in comes Donald Trump in 2016. After eight years of Obama de- uh, destroying the military, Trump spent so much time and money trying to rebuild it and has done a phenomenal job of it. So this is very important to him as well. And they knew it, which is why they threw that Section 230 into the defense spending bill when it's a Communications Act issue. That's what the problem here is. They knew full well President Trump was not going to veto the defense spending bill after he spent so much time and so much American money rebuilding the military. He's not going to let it suffer now. They figured. Um, so they attach that uh, Section 230 to it. The problem here is President Trump did veto it because of that, because it is so extraordinarily important to him. And now we have it being a, a political football in the Senate, with Bernie Sanders saying, yeah, we're not going to override and get that defense bill spent, or excuse me, defense spending bill uh, passed. We're not going to override it uh, unless we get that $2,000 stimulus. So here you are, friends. Uh, It's all about politics. It is all about establishing their, talking from the left now, establishing their socialist brand of we control the resources, we control the distribution, we will give you the money, we will tell you, we'll take it all from you and then distribute it as we see fit. Marsha Blackburn, senator from Tennessee, you know what she said today that this $2,000 demand is? At least from the Democrat side, it's the beginning of, of minimum guaranteed salaries, otherwise known as UBI, universal basic incomes. This is what we'll do. The government will give guaranteed universal incomes or salaries to the people, regardless of how hard they work for it or what they do for it which is, again, another step toward communist principles being applied in the United States, at least socialist, if not outright communist. So there's there's enough to make your brain explode right now. There really is. I've spent a good part of the morning processing all of this, everything that's going on between the defense spending bill, the coronavirus relief stimulus bill, and the omnibus spending bill, and what it means to have overrides and revotes, et cetera, et cetera. It's a mess. And guess what? It all has to be figured out by January 3rd. That's five days away, my friends, because January 3rd is when the Congress ends and a new Congress will be sworn in. And the makeup of that Congress is going to be changed potentially two days later on January 5th when the Georgia runoff happens. My goodness gracious. 
I welcome your thoughts at 216-901-0945, Are you okay with getting $2,000 per American worker as passed by the House yesterday and supported by President Trump, even if it comes at the expense of all of those billions and billions of dollars going to foreign countries for gender studies in Pakistan, for example? Are you okay with the checks, or do you want the entire thing to be uh, to be stopped in its tracks? You tell me. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five, and we'll be right back. Cure is more Kaaba. I love this song. I do. I love the song, but it is funny how much it takes you to that uh, to that SNL sketch. I still see Will in that too short of a belly shirt, uh, banging on that cowbell. Anyway, uh, nine twenty six. Good morning. Thanks for being with us. Uh, this is true. This was my ringtone actually for a long time. I really do love the song. Anyway. Um, so coming up in uh, about eight minutes at about 9.35, we're going to pivot a little bit away from uh, what we're talking about on Capitol Hill to talk about what's going on in the state of Ohio, particularly in Columbus, particularly in the, uh, the, at the uh, Board of Education. Lisa Woods is outgoing an outgoing board member. She has spent four years uh, as a member of the Ohio Board of Education fighting to protect actual... Um, Curriculum and uh, curricula and educational principles for Ohio students, free of the wokeness that is being jammed down the throats of so many students, um, at the uh, you know with the approval of many of the other members of the Ohio board. And I'm talking about racial situations, and I'm talking about uh, in uh, uh, the institution of critical race theory into Ohio school curriculums, the 1619 Project. Lisa and others fought very, very hard against that um, when the board met a couple of months back, uh, certainly over the summer. So she is on her way out, and she has written a statement that is, quite frankly, very powerful, uh, in which she talked about wanting to make a difference on behalf of these kids and about how important it is that we actually return and restore actual educational principles to um, Ohio's classrooms rather than the indoctrination centers that so many of them, them have become. We have known for a long time that colleges and universities have become liberal indoctrination centers. But, you know, for the most part, our high schools and middle schools and elementary schools just did regular old reading, writing, arithmetic, uh, mixed in with a little social studies and so on and so forth. Uh, and history, actual history, not made up history, not fantasy history, not fictional history. But that's no longer the case. The indoctrination is starting at the very youngest levels of education. So uh, Lisa wrote a very important piece, I think. I'm uh, going to let her describe it. I don't have the time to read the entire thing for you. But I will say this. She is, uh, her heart and her motives are all pure. The right things were her intention. And several others, as I said, we've talked to Kirsten Hill uh, and other members of the the school board who joined her in their concern for the state of Ohio's curriculum, like I said, more and more broadly, um, not just history, but, but curriculum in general and the education of students as actual 
uh, people and not as uh, little pawns for future use. And, and that's really what they are. When you indoctrinate kids the way that they are, they are looking at the next generation as being useful idiots or useful pawns for, for the advancement of liberal um, causes. And that's, that's, that's not an overstatement. I truly do not believe. I think that's kind of what Lisa and others have felt. So she has fought very hard on behalf of Ohio students and parents, and now she's on her way out as uh, the term has come to an end. And we're going to have her on to talk about all of that coming up uh, right after the news on AM 1420, The Answer. Progressive Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Okay, 9.35. Now we continue on AM 1420. The answer. Do not forget, Peter Kersenow is coming up at 10.10 this morning as he as he does each and every uh, Tuesday. We're going to talk to Pete about what's going on on Capitol Hill. We're going to talk to him about stand your ground laws in the state of Ohio and also a little retrospective look at 2020, the best and the worst. So all of that's coming up. But right now I want to talk to uh, our guest, as mentioned, this guest has just completed a four-year term as uh, a representative of Ohio's uh, school board. Uh, so the Ohio Board of Education um, is is in quite a quandary right now. They're they're stuck in a very very tough place. It would appear between trying to educate children traditionally with accuracy and historical accuracy, most importantly, and acceding to the woke culture that seems to be dominating in our society right now. They need people like Lisa Woods on that board. But unfortunately, Lisa Woods is departing now. And as she does so, she left a message for uh, the rest of the school board. It's a final report, a final statement, if you will, from Lisa Woods. It's about three pages long, and she does indeed call out the board for some of its failures and call out the board for some of uh, its um, direction or the lack of direction. And I thought this is something that should be shared with Ohio parents, uh, perhaps your grandparents, perhaps you are in that group. So Lisa Woods joins us now to talk about the state of education in this state as she leaves the Board of Education. Lisa, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me, Bob. Yeah, it's uh, it's always good to talk to you, Lisa. We talk quite often, uh, to be honest, and um, the, none of it is more important than what you left uh, left behind here. First of all, is this standard operating procedure for board members to leave kind of their own closing statement behind, or is this just something you wanted to do? No, this was something I prepared um, at the end. There were five of us leaving the board, and so I wasn't quite sure how it was going to play out, and so this is what I had ready. And um, at the end, um, they started, they went in alphabetical order, so I was last. <laughs> I was glad of that. Um, and they introduced one of the members that were leaving and had, you know, said something, you know, nice words, and then they had a chance to do their, you know, their closing statement, okay. and this so was mine. And so this is, yeah, this is pretty much what I said word for word at the end of the board meeting on Tuesday, the uh, December 15th, which, you know, you can see it on on the Ohio channel. I don't know if it's up yet. I haven't looked, but um, at some point I will. Okay, that's good to know. So so the, the, I wanted to get the backdrop there. So every, every uh, outgoing board member did have a statement, and you, this was yours. Now, 
Um, right. You mentioned you mentioned in this, and I've read it twice. You mentioned in this that generally speaking, these types of uh, farewell speeches are filled with platitudes and thank yous about all of the wonderful work and the great experiences and so on and so forth. But you did not want to go out like that because you you point out that there are a lot of problems with that board and a lot of problems with the work that you attempted to get done that uh, sometimes wasn't you know you weren't able to accomplish because of the lack of cooperation of some of your fellow board members how was that critical statement that you read received by some of your colleagues well I was busy saying the words, and I really didn't look at the body language. And that's one of the reasons I'd like to go back and look, because I meant it sincerely. It wasn't like a, a slam, but it was the truth, and I, I needed to to say it on my, you know, uh, that day, because a lot of this was. I was able to get bits and parts over the four years, but it's very difficult to be heard over the big money, over you know the uh, you know the teachers unions have a big influence. Um, a lot of these think tanks and, and a so very forth. Particular leftward agenda too. Those teachers unions well, have a big influence and a leftward agenda that is you know leftist agenda perhaps that is very very hard to overcome. And if you ever doubted it. Um, now it, it's it's blatant. You can see it. I can show it to you. You know, you can see it in, in that resolution uh, twenty and the stuff coming in with the social emotional learning. It's it's about everything but real learning. If it, it, you know this social justice, the the ultimate social justice is literacy. If we made sure that every child in Ohio could read and, and, and just stop until that actually happens, you know, um, we'd be doing our job. But instead, we're going all over the map everywhere but where parents really want us to go, let and that read, is to teach our kids. Let, let me read, Lisa, some of, some of what you wrote in your three-page uh, statement, because it goes to literacy and it goes to the social justice stuff, too. Uh, and, and I guess I'll take it in order. Um, let's start with what you wrote about dropout recovery schools in Ohio. You said you're proud of efforts to save and nurture them, but at the same token, I am disappointed that I had to do that. Our own staff continues to operate as an, as an entity of their own, enforcing their ideology and not necessarily the policies of the elected board elected by the people. I issue a challenge to the incoming board, set policy, and rein in ODE employees. We have been have some tremendously talented people that work for the department, but they should be carrying out policy adopted by and considered by the board, not themselves. The efforts to essentially shut down dropout recovery schools already operating with such a challenged school population with challenged funding were most disappointing and did a disservice to the people of Ohio. Can you explain a little bit more about what you mean, why these schools were uh, you know, shut down, essentially, and what you mean about ODE employees setting policy rather than the elected board members? Yeah, th- this was madness. This was something that I discovered about six months into um, uh, when I first started on the board. Uh, I was invited to a school in Akron that was a dropout prevention and recovery, and they they gave me a tour, and afterwards uh, we sat down and we talked about what was going on. And first I was just amazed at, at the, the work that they were doing with the most hardest kids you can imagine. These are kids that have been kicked out of multiple schools. 
they're 18 and they're reading at a third grade level, their parents might be dealing drugs, they might not have parents, they might be parents, all kinds of things that are going on in these kids' lives. And these these little uh, schools have bubbled up in communities to help these kids, to, to help them get a degree so that they can actually get a job and, and continue with their lives. And the schools are amazing. And each and every one has their own characteristics to the community and, and the people that go in and, and work there. These are teachers that are working at a much less, you know, they don't, they, they're not getting paid as much as the, the teachers in, in some of the public schools or whatever, but it's, they're, they're doing it from their heart. And then I'm finding out that, that ODE, the Ohio Department of Education, is actually shutting these schools down due to, you know, some, some compliance issues. And then when I checked into the compliance issues, it had nothing to do with the work that they were doing. You know, it was just like bureaucratic hoops, flaming hoops. They were, they were set on fire <laughs> for these schools to jump through to, to maintain, to keep these kids in school. Um, it really made me sick, and it was something that I worked really hard on um, the rest of my time there on the board. Yeah, a lot of people don't understand the importance of those schools, because you're right, these are sometimes the worst of the worst kids when it comes to behavioral issues, when it comes to home life, and if they aren't given an opportunity, now you can't keep them in regular schools, because they're disruptive so much so that other students cannot learn, so that's why these, uh, you know, recovery schools exist, and uh, it's, you know, otherwise you turn them uh, loose on the streets without a high school diploma, they can't get a job, they turn to crime, and we all know how that goes from there. So, and, let, and, you know, they were, the they literacy were... Aspect. Okay, I just wanted to say that they were rated as underperforming. Well, of course, you know they're not they're not uh, graduating with their core cohorts. Yeah, so the, you know the uh, to put them under the same, you know, like the report card um, was just yeah. ridiculous because it's not they're not dealing with the with the it with the same no uh, issues. Nope. Did not. Right. There are different types of schools for different types of kids for a reason. They cannot be measured against the regular schools with the regular types of kids, and that's that's exactly right. Now, since you brought up the report card, that's where I was going next anyway. In your letter, or in your statement, you wrote, um, among unfinished finished business is the awful state report card, a report card that still, or that, uh, that itself deserves a big fat F for failure. Despite all of our efforts, Ohio has a report card that does not reflect actual learning. Please, Board Governor DeWine, General Assembly, roll up your sleeves and make our Ohio report card meaningful and reflective of reality. The people of Ohio deserve more. So let's, let's talk about that. Um, and, and just, you know, teaching kids to be successful in class and thus, um, you know, in, in their post-graduate uh, life. Uh, if, if, the school, if the schools generally get an F, the kids get Fs. If the kids get Fs, the kids aren't going to, like I said before about the recovery kids, they're not going to have diplomas that mean anything and it's going to help them have successful careers and lives. Right, right. We've been criticized nationally for our report card. It's like we shoot ourselves in the foot because when our schools are getting Fs and maybe they don't deserve it, um, you know, it affects the whole community. It just really brings down the morale of the teachers that are trying to teach kids in some of the most challenging areas. I'll take you to East Cleveland City Schools. They did amazing work with those kids, but then they were taken over by this because of the state report card and Senate Bill 70. 
Um, and if you think that bureaucrats from Columbus are going to come into East Cleveland and understand what they're dealing with, I can tell you that you're wrong <laughs> because they don't. They don't know better. But they weren't getting the type of help and support that they needed. And also, you know, it was kind of like one big dropout recovery. When you say they, you mean, when you, say they you mean what? When you say um, they, you mean what? You mean the, pub, the actual public schools individually? Oh, you mean in, in East Cleveland? No, I mean, you, you said they're not getting... Well, I, I yeah. don't know. You tell the, me. You, you, you just said they're not the getting district, the support that they need. I would say, like, East Cleveland City Schools District, um, you know, they they were getting a lot of good support, but the, to try to challenge them to bring those kids, you know, to, to where... To compare them to kids that have parents that are helping them with their homework every night is is, is not going okay. to happen, okay. and so, so they so needed to be me, they ne- there, needed Lisa. to be looked at differently. Yep. Yeah, and, and and this is this is something that I have been saying in twenty four years now on the air. Um, the schools, the board of education, um, you can all be doing your level best for these kids. You can provide them with all of the resources when it comes to the best classroom teaching uh, methods and equipment and technology and so on and so forth. And none of it means a lick if there aren't parents in the home reinforcing the education. If there are, they're not in the home helping them with homework or at least just standing over them and making sure the homework gets done, making sure that the kids actually come to school and that are not truant, making sure that you know, that they're in contact with their teachers, the kids' teachers, so they can help them through trouble spots, classes that they're struggling with. If there aren't parents in the home, I don't care what you do in Columbus, Lisa Woods, or any other board members, and I don't care what the local board members in the districts do, and I don't care what the teachers do. It isn't going to work without parents. So having said that, speaking as a board member, Lisa, how do you... How do you how do you fix something that is unfixable? You can't fix the, you know, particularly in some of the neighborhoods you're talking about and some of the cities that you're talking about, you can't fix the you know, the parental issue. Uh the schools well, ha- are never going to be able to a, fix a real that. right. And having that conversation just would not happen. You know, these kids need some good male mentors in their areas. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we could talk about and try to produce. Maybe not get enough of them, but some would be better than none. But instead, you know, we'll fast forward to, to, to the 1619 Project. Instead, they're claiming that these kids need to know that they're suppressed and that, you know, that, that, that white people maybe, you know, hate them or what, whatever the stuff that, that is coming out. And, and that is so wrong. We don't need to teach those kids that. We need to teach them how to read. And we need to figure out how to get to those kids, teach them how to read. And then they can read about anything. They can read about whatever passion they have. But without that, without the fundamental ability to be able to read, they'll be angry um, and and it's just a downward spot, but again, spiral. But again, to, but, but again, it's you know it's you know it's it's chicken and egg here. Um, which comes right. first, the kids not being able to read, or the kids not having the parents to teach them to read? And that's the issue here. You know, and sad sad as it may be, it's reality that some seventy to seventy five percent of black kids. Well, are you in the, are you in an aviary right now? <laughs> no, 
No, I'm sorry. I do have a bird. I covered her up, but she's still squawking. So I okay, just moved to we, a different maybe, room. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a break here. <laughs> I'm going to take a break here. Maybe we can get you into a different room because I do have a couple more questions for you about race and about the 1619 Project you wrote about in your piece. So we'll continue with Lisa Woods right after this. I want to go right back to Lisa Woods here. i got about six minutes left to talk about the rest of this important statement that she made on her way out the door uh, as uh, her term as a member of the Ohio Board of Education comes to an end. So, Lisa, we were talking before that time out about, you know, the, the fact that, you know, racially speaking, a lot of African-American students are behind the eight ball, and it has nothing to do with um, you know, racism or systemic racism in the schools. The fact is that 70 to 75 percent of African Americans, uh, children are being raised in single parent households without that male authority figure you talked about. Talking about, uh, you know, somebody to make sure they're doing their work, to make sure that they are getting to school, that they are staying in touch with teachers, because it's just impossible oftentimes for a single parent to do all of those things. So it's with that that I want to address 1619, which you wrote about. In the second to last paragraph of your statement, quoting, the rush in one meeting uh, with almost zero public input aside from uh, zero public input aside from predestined advocates to force divisive and factually questionable racial regiments upon this board and Ohio school children really was not our finest hour. Instead of working to improve students learning, we are uh, rushing to um, uh, we are rushing to force more divisions upon our kids and poisoning the educational environment with race-based theories that have never been proven to be factual and, in fact, have been proven to be non-factual, like the 1619 Project. So, Lisa, you, you took a big, I don't want to say it's a big risk because you're on your way out. I guess it doesn't really matter, but uh, it, was a, it was a pretty strong statement that you made to your fellow board members about their uh, decision to racialize um, the educational system right now. Can you tell us why you did that? Well, it was a message that I'd been trying to get through uh, since, I would say, June. I had been uh, started with uh, talking on the phone with President Kohler. Um, we were talking about the uh, writing and so, so forth. And once, once uh, she, I thought she was listening, and then she brought this and pushed it through in July, which I think was really wrong. We, we didn't have time to really talk about it publicly so people knew where we were going. And after that, I didn't get any feedback. Yet, <laughs> I would send um, leadership and, and our state superintendent some videos kind of showing on the other side and statements like, hey, this is, this is what causes the conflict and pointing things out, and never a response after that. So for some reason... They were only working with people that were left-minded at that time. And I don't understand why, because I think the, the conversation could be rich, because I think it, some of us truly want the same things. We just don't know how to get there, and we needed to have that rich conversation and an and uncomfortable one about why the kids aren't, you know, succeeding in school. But we, 
we weren't able to. Leadership didn't let that happen in an open public way. And even be, be behind the scenes, you know, it wasn't something that we went back and forth on, and I just thought it was wrong. Yeah, and uh, obviously we talked during that time to yourself and another board member about that back in June, and uh, and again, you know, in, in more recent months, and uh, it, it's going to be left to the next board to, to deal with um, in a reasonable and responsible way. Is there, or let me rephrase, I know there are some, who is on that board right now that is going to carry that fight on as you depart? Well, I, I know um, Hill and Hagen. You know, John Hagen is Christina Hagen's dad. He's, he's incredible. And Kirsten Hill, you know her well. Um, Jenny yes. Kilgore, um, she abstained from the vote on Resolution 20, but I agreed with why, because she um, didn't understand any longer what exactly we were voting on, because it was 11 o'clock at night, and there had been so many changes. Um, but you really need to contact each board member individually, find where they stand, and if, 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 they, if they don't seem to understand what the problem is, then you need to challenge them, whether they're your elected member or not. Um, I, I, I think it's valuable to approach each and any one of them and, and try to have that conversation. There's no reason why they shouldn't be reasonable with you. We had so yeah. many letters and, and not just, in emails. And not just state I don't board understand. Members like yourself. Yeah, not just state and, board members like yourself, Lisa, because right. um, you know they will say, and in fact, some of them did say that the the board doesn't write curricula itself. Uh, you know, so you're you're barking up the wrong tree to tell us not to do this, that, or the other thing. Uh, and you do, do do you do need to perhaps go to the local boards, the district boards of education True. in every district in Ohio. And I hope all you know Ohio parents, and quite frankly, you don't even have to have a parent or have a kid in school anymore. You don't have to be a parent of an active student if you care about the future of these cities. And, uh, you know, these districts and the state of Ohio, quite frankly, in the country, you are going to try to talk to and be a part of the educational process. Because, Lisa, you said this to me privately. It begins. It begins and it ends, really, with education, doesn't it? Absolutely. If you want to stop the bleed of what's happening today, it starts in education. Our policies will long continue um, beyond governor and governor and any of our state you know, elected officials. Um, right. We really need to, to to buckle down and look at what's here, and 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 watch these meetings. Sarah Fowler will now be in the the House of Representatives, so we'll have a friend there. But the left has learned to use our policies against ourselves. And so by saying that we have, you know, local control, but now they're saying, yeah, we have local control, but we're going to make you. <laughs> we're going to make you through Resolution right. 20 do this. So that's not local control anymore, is it? Local so control, but yet we're forcing it from the state. It makes no sense. It is good to know that Sarah is... It is good to know that Sarah's going to be in the Ohio House. That's good news. And, of course, you're right, Kirsten Hill and others uh, on the board that are going to continue the fight. But I'm glad you were there uh, to, to make these points uh, while you were on the board and as you exit the board as well. Hopefully these words will be considered very carefully by those still uh, on that board. Lisa Woods, Indeed. thank you so much for your time, and thanks for everything you did for our uh, the Board of Education. We'll talk again. All right, that's Lisa Woods on AM 1420, The Answer. It's 10.01. We're going to get to news now because it's Tuesday. Cursing Out Time is next on AM 1420, The Answer.